Good evening, everybody. This is Rich Duncan with Ink Heist, and tonight I'm joined by my co-host Shane Douglas Keen. Uh, Laurel isn't with us tonight, but she'll be back with us next week. Um, and tonight we're excited to welcome author Steve Stred to the show, the author of Ritual, The One That Knows No Fear, Peace of Me, and numerous other books, including his most recent collection of witches. So welcome to the show, Steve, and uh, how are you doing today? Hey, thanks. Oh, I'm good. Yeah, it's uh, freezing cold up here, but yeah, doing good. Yeah, I think I saw that. Um, I think I saw you had posted photos that it already had snowed up there once or twice. Well, yeah, last uh, last Saturday we actually had a um, kind of a band come across, and we had just over a foot of snow on that day alone, and it's just kind of stuck. Yeah, screw uh, that. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's I coming for me, too. I'm Oregon, and it's cold enough here for me, and we're just fucking... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I live uh, in a good snow area. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I live in a good snow area, too, where we get a lot, but it hasn't started here yet. Yeah, we, where we're at, we get to the point where, because we use Celsius, we get close enough where our temperature is the same as you guys in Fahrenheit in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is just unbelievable <laughs> how fucking miserable that is. Yeah. I think last, last year, I think we had, I think it was 17 or 18 days in a row where the warmest was minus 35 Celsius, which oh I think is what that, that's like one or two degrees Fahrenheit, I think. Uh, I think that's the conversion, yeah. something like, yeah, because I think minus 50 is this, is. The, where the the changeover is, right? Where the temperatures become the same. Right, right. And yeah. and yeah, that's pretty fucking cold in Oregon. If it got that cold, we'd just all hibernate someplace and cry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Steve, um, for people who might not be familiar with you, um, you know, we usually have our guests kind of give like a. Uh, a new kid at school speech, um, kind of just a little bit about yourself, um, your work, and anything else um, you know you would like to introduce yourself to our listeners with. Okay, you know it sounds good. Um, well, my name's Steve. Um, uh, some people will know me for stuff that I write. Some people will know me for some of the review stuff or author shouts that I've been doing. Um, but uh, I. Uh, I'm from a very small town in British Columbia, Canada, um, and then just from there through school and through sport, I am now living in Edmonton, Alberta. And uh, yeah, for work, for the real life, I'm I'm something that's called a uh, certified podiatrist. So up here, we are kind of like a non-surgical podiatrist. So I do, you know, custom foot orthotics, custom knee braces. Um, but uh, yeah, so live up here. I have a wife, a a four-year-old and a dog. Awesome. Yeah, I'd, I'd never heard about, um, like you said, your uh, your job description. I'd never heard of that. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's uh, it's one, like, when I was going to school, I always wanted to get into more of the healthcare stuff instead of, mm-hmm. you know, becoming a, um, a teacher or even uh, going like the physiotherapist or massage therapist route, I always wanted to be in the healthcare side of it, but I wasn't sure doing what. And then after I graduated, kind of circumstances aligned and 
I ended up managing a, a, a clinic that had put orthos there. And through that, I did my training and got certification. And yeah, I, I love doing it. It's, it's great helping people every day. Yeah, we have some pretty good ones here in Oregon, too. Probably everywhere, really, but um, that uh, are basically shops that specialize specifically in orthotics, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there is, in, in the U.S., there is a a, um, a branch or a, a version of, of podorthics that aligns with us really well. Um, yeah. Most of the stuff has come out of Australia and in Europe. And so what we find, at least through through my um, college or my um, um, the association, the ones that kind of align all with the same vision that we find from Australia and Europe, all of them tend to, you know, be leading for education and research and all that stuff. So it's great kind of interacting with people around the world about it. Yeah, because it's not, I mean, it's not like infantile, but it's still kind of i mean to me anyway it's still a new kind of a new branch of medicine you know yeah for sure and i mean part of it too is the um you know for so many years they just didn't do a lot of research on some of this stuff it was you know slice and dice and they heal or they don't and you move on right so now now there's been a real push through actually a lot of it's been through like running shoe companies um simply because, you know, they want to make people bigger, stronger, faster. Um, so a lot of that, they've kind of really pushed the envelope for research and, and you know, quantifying and, and, and qualifying different stuff. So, yeah, it's been, it's been a fun, a fun uh, career to be in. Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's pretty interesting. And, um, you know, kind of to pivot towards like your, um, your writing, um, you know, what kind of, uh, influences do you have and kind of how did you first discover, you know, that you wanted to, you know, be a writer? <clears throat> like, has it been like a large part of your life or was it kind of like a later development where you discovered your interest in that path? Yeah. I mean, um, a little of both. So, um, I mean, so I, I went to school and I did all that stuff, but at the same time, I was really pursuing athletics. Um, some people know, some people don't, but um, for a while, I, I was trying to make the Canadian men's bobsled team to go to the Olympics. And uh, so I had started writing my first book. So I had I had written a, a whole bunch of poetry and some short stories in high school, and I did a bit of it in college, and then it, it just kind of fell away as I focused on the, the athletic training side of stuff. And then I had started writing my first book, Invisible, um, probably in 2000, maybe 2002. And I kind of was plugging along with it. And then as I started to make progress with it, a few things happened where, you know, our, our dog was paralyzed and some people in our family had passed away. And I just kind of kept pushing it away. So I, it ended up finally seeing the light of day in 2015. Um and actually a big a big push for me to get it finished which is is funny cuz i i never shut up about him on on twitter but a big push about it was when i found the book the demonologist from andrew piper um, God. after reading that i was like you know what like like there's this phenomenal writer who's canadian and he writes you know like i mean he writes stuff i could never even fathom of writing 
but um, just to know that there was this other Canadian person out there who wrote kind of dark fiction, it really kind of gave me the bump to finish it up and, and, and get it out there. And then when I got to the point of wanting to get it out there, that's where I was like, well, like, what do I do? And right around that time, my career in sports was ending. I just had so many injuries and I was, I wasn't fast enough to make the team by that point. And, you know, we were about to have our first kid and I just said, you know what, like I need to keep following my passions. And, and in this case, I'm going to pivot from, you know, trying to do it in sport to, you know, focusing and continuing to work on my writing. And, and that's where I finally kind of, I'd say, broke the barrier or got over that first barrier because i mean ever since i put out invisible i don't know i don't think i've ever really stopped i have like between three to five releases pretty much every year since then that's impressive um and i honestly i mean as you know I, we talked yesterday i had not had a lot of experience with your work um and started reading the ritual last night but uh I have not finished that yet, but I can say that it's quite quite enjoyable. I, you're a good writer, and I'm mm-hmm. looking for I'm looking forward to reading more. Well, thanks. So yeah, uh, ritual uh, ritual is an interesting one because, um, I, like for me at least, I think I've had three kind of releases where it was almost like an an aha moment where people seem to kind of start to recognize my name a little bit. Um, you know, by no means am I on a massive plane or scale of anything, but when Wagon Buddy first came out, people kind of noticed it. And then mm-hmm. when The Girl Who Hid in the Trees came out, that one was a little bit bigger. Um, but then when Ritual came out, I don't know why that one seemed to be the one that really clicked. But I mean, even through sales, reviews, Goodreads reviews, like it's, it's, it's easily scaled everything else that I've done. Um, but it's also the first time that I kind of went more graphic with, with stuff, right? Like there's, mm-hmm. that's, that's the first one I put kind of an extreme warning content on the, the Amazon page and the Goodreads page. And that one just seems to be the one that that's really connected with people, which I thought for sure. And I've joked about it before it only has six one-star reviews. Like it, it blows my mind that it only has six because some of the stuff that's in there is just repulsively filthy. Um, and while it plays a role in it, I would suspect a lot of people who would read it would just be like, like, this is ridiculous. I'm not going on any further and you know, one star. So yeah. yeah. You know, I was kind of surprised too, though. Like when I read, uh, J.F. Gonzalez as Survivor, um, or something like that. My yeah. sucks for titles, but that thing is so brutal and gross and violates every fucking exploitation. You know, I mean, utilizes every exploitation in the book, and it's hugely popular. And when I read it, I saw why. Mm-hmm. You know. Because you, there's a line between whether that's necessary or not, and yeah. if the and if the story benefits from it, then it's necessary. I yeah, think. Yeah, but. and I and I think that I think you've hit that one directly. That um, I put I put filth in there, but the filth 
is there to push the narrative and to keep keep things moving along, right? So it's part of the story, not just there to to gross you out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's the, that's the kind of stuff that you know, to use the traditional term, the kind of um, splatterpunk that uh, works. You know, um, what makes splatterpunk good splatterpunk is that it has a, it, it's more focused on story than it is on the incidental grotesqueness of anything else about it. You know, for sure, yeah. So. That wasn't a question. That's just me sitting here having finished about a third of a bottle of whiskey today and babbling. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think you, you like you like Steve said, you nailed it, Shane, because, you know, like Shane, I'm an I'm a newer um, reader of your work. And I read um, the one who knows no fear was the first one I read oh, and then of witches which i loved both of those and you know there's some and i'm not sure i think they came after ritual but you know there's some extreme stuff in there but like shane said you know the stories are so engaging and in the case of of witches it's kind of like a collection so like even each story but you know there's some pretty brutal stuff in there and but i think too not only do you have like the engaging story and like you know some interesting characters it's kind you don't go like overboard with you know like the extreme stuff so like when it does show up it's a lot more effective yeah no thank you yeah and it's weird because i don't know if it was just me being like an arrogant douche when i started but for the longest time it almost felt like wrong for me to even put swear words in my work so like when you read some of my earlier stuff like there's no swearing at all in it and then when i go back and read it now i'm like well it's kind of lost some of its impact in spots where people would be angry or people would you know try to express an emotion and you know they don't say a word that you typically would say in real life so Mm -hmm. yeah with with ritual that was kind of the one where i was like yeah you know what like let it out yeah just shove it up whatever you think is your your you know your hiccup over doing this and just do it and see mm-hmm. and i remember when i sent that because um um david sodergren does all of my um copy editing and line editing and he does beta reading for me as well and i remember when i sent it to him and he he had sent me back like a screenshot and he like had just said like like wtf like you actually swore <laughs> in something like he was he was so like surprised and was like shocked and then he kept reading it and there's like like in the book ritual um, for those who don't know, it's about a, a totally random guy, Brad, who just happens to be somebody who uh, um, a cult leader is trying to get him to use to open um, the gates to uh, the gate to the black heavens. And the the character of Father, who's kind of the main character in the trilogy, um, he does some really repulsive stuff to Brad to, to try to make him believe that he's the chosen one. And uh, yeah, David had just like he'd screenshot stuff and send it back and be like am I even reading something from you? Like this is, this is rated <laughs> NC 17, not rated G. Like he was so, so surprised. And yeah, it was just one of those like, all right, let's see where this goes. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. Like you said, you kind of, you'd finally gotten kind of over that. And then, um, you know, so like if ritual is kind of like the most extreme thing, was that kind of, you know, not just with necessarily, 
cursing, but was that kind of like the book that kind of started you on maybe weaving in some more extreme stuff? Um, maybe, maybe in, in, in terms of language, I would say, um, cause mm. I mean, in a lot of the other books, like there's definitely some pretty, pretty brutal or, you know, grotesque things that happen. But I also, for the longest time, like there wasn't anything really involving too much to do with like sex at all or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try really hard, like in all of my stuff, and I don't know if it's a conscious thing or a subconscious thing, but I try not to be like overly exploitive or um, uh, poorly descriptive mm-hmm. of any of like the female characters. Um, and so, you know, as things went along, it was like, okay, like I need to, I need to really focus here and, and, and just go with it. Okay. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I was, like I said, I was just curious because I think the ones that I had started with were a little bit later, but, um, um, in terms of releases. Yeah. So like ritual is pretty brutal. And then the follow up to that communion, you know, it follows the story. So those ones are all pretty, pretty horrific in that, in that kind of sense. Um, but like the stuff like in of witches, I would say that's, that's kind of the norm of what I would do in terms of, you know, extreme type stuff. And then ritual and communion is kind of this whole other level. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, uh, so far for me quite successful you know as far as ritual goes and I'm, now that you said that about communion that's the next one i'll be reading by you so yeah uh-huh. oh and and again it's just one of those ones where i think in that case um you know it would make sense to have book two in a trilogy be kind of watered down compared to book one um, yeah and i remember I, at one point i can't i can't remember who it was but i had messaged somebody and said you know, in the sequel to this, am I, am I just, am I, am I struggling here thinking that I need to be this way because book one was like this, or is this how the story is supposed to be? And they said like, you know, just, just write it and see. And at the end of the day, you're going to edit it and, and release it. So if it works, it works. If not, you'll, you'll tweak it and go from there. Right. So uh, and that's yeah, that's the thing I, I'm struggling still to really learn is just fucking write it, and then if you need to adjust, adjust. You know, I sit there and I'm uh, I, I obsess, yeah. and I think I think it's because I write poetry, but I obsess line by line and word by word sometimes. Yeah, so yeah, because I mean, if you're trying to do something in 15 lines that expresses exactly what you want to feel, it's a lot different than you know, 150 or 300 pages. Right. Right. But even when I'm writing fiction now, it's like, okay, dude, you got to stop that. You got to write this shit and, (laughs) you know, and then come back and worry about this stuff. (laughs) A question for you, Shane, I actually had somebody, I had asked somebody this before. Do you find you ever start writing a short story and you think to yourself, I'm just going to scrap this because this would make a better poem. I have done that, yeah, and I've and I've also gone the other way too. Yeah. So yes, I have. Um, it's a very odd feeling I find because I've had that a couple times, um, and it's the weirdest thing where you get 
however many pages into it and you're like, you know what? This isn't working because this is not supposed to be told like this. And then you almost start completely over, but you keep kind of the the core essence of what you're trying to say in the story. Yeah. Um, I actually had a, a short story evolve into a poem that got published. And the poem is um, trying really hard to evolve into a novella. Oh, okay. Um, because oddly, the story needs novella length to be co- told, but I could, I, I can lay shit like that out in a poem without any trouble. You know? <laughs> but yeah, it's surreal. You when you're sitting there going, okay, but this is what this was gonna be, and you had all these plans, and you know, all of a sudden you're going, yeah, but you know, this isn't the form that this needs to be. Yeah. It's what, well, and I mean, for me at least, I like when things click. When you're like, ah. Like that's that's why this is a struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, me too. But sometimes I don't recognize the click. Sometimes I'll get down to the end of like one of my better fucking poems and be just shocked because yeah. I thought I, I thought I was struggling all the way. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, that's another thing to talk about with your work too, though, is um, length of work. Um. Do you embrace the shorter forms? Um, is that something just because that's the length that your story needs, or is that do you prefer to write those lengths of works? Yeah, it's funny because even the stuff that I've released that I consider like a novel, it's not traditionally novel length. Um, like, I think Invisible is probably 180 pages and piece of me is i think 175 and the stranger is like 175 and for me that's like three four times longer than what i normally do um but i think for me it's just it's just that's how my brain works to tell the story and yeah um, and i just get to that point where and and you know maybe i'll throw him under the the bus a little bit but you know david sodergren who's been instrumental in helping me become a better writer he, he always talks about you know cutting the fat and and getting rid of stuff that shouldn't be there and so when i when i write now i kind of self-edit as i go and a lot of times you know um i'll go back two or three days later and reread kind of what i've done to keep working and i'm like yeah like i don't need that i don't need that and i just kind of it just ends up being where most of my stuff ends up being 20,000 to 30,000 words and if it's going to be a novel it's like 60 to 75,000 um like when I wrote piece of me I actually wrote it as a bit of a challenge to myself where I wanted to do eight chapters um uh eight chapters each chapter being 8,000 words so that it would be you know roughly 64,000 words um and within two chapters i was like this is bs i can't do this like this isn't how i i write like i'm just gonna i'm gonna keep the chapter headings and i'm gonna keep working on the story but like you know i'm just gonna sit here and you know essentially you know pound my head against the desk when the chapter ends at you know four thousand words and i'm i need to double that length right so yeah because then you're fattening up instead of doing what you should be doing and yeah yeah and and i mean I don't know, as somebody who reads a lot, 
I love reading novellas because it can be such a nice break from reading, you know, longer stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, there's a part of me that is thinking like, well, there's going to be some readers out there who are going to be like, oh, this was great. I was able to read, you know, one of Steve's books in, in you know, one sitting and I still have time to read a few chapters in a different book. So it was kind of the two sides of it. But um, yeah, I think it's just the way I tell the story. I just novella seems to work best for me. And um, I think I'm, this is just personal preference. I think that novella is one of the most impactful forms that you can use for horror, for a horror story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially if they're done right. Yeah, exactly. Um, like uh, Joe Lansdale is a great example of what a novella should end up being. Like at the end, you know, he writes some really good ones, though not many, I don't think. Um, but there's so many now where so many other authors now are embracing the novella as a form. And I love seeing that because I think it's uh, prior to about, you know, I mean, about the 20th, 21st century, really, um, there wasn't a whole hell of a lot of novella length work in publication that I was aware of. Yeah, like when I... When I started, I don't remember seeing a lot of it, but then for whatever reason, I think part of it was when I, I started to really become more active on Twitter. Yeah. Like see, seeing just the quality and um, the the response that, like, you know, Chad Lutsky got and, and, you know, Keelan Patrick Burke and these people were putting out such fantastic releases, but, you know, they weren't, you know, doorstoppers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just it was eye-opening because to me that was kind of that you know checkbox or that that um you know green is go signal that it's okay for you to write a story that is only this long you know as mm-hmm. as long as you're happy with your story and it's it's only 60 pages or only 85 pages if you told the story you want to tell in there then perfect by yeah. all means yeah exactly right but i mean if you finish it and you're like well, you know, I saw I saw Keelan Patrick Burke release a no, novella, and I'm going to release a novella. And you get to the end of that story, and you're like, "Wow, this really is missing stuff." Like, then that's you on your own. You got to make the changes to make that story more impactful and and mm-hmm. and make it work, right? So, but yeah, I remember seeing those two, and I was just like, like "Holy hell! Like these guys are fantastic!" And and you know, Keelan raves up and down about novellas and i remember i had messaged him once because he's always been super kind and i messaged him i said you know when you release through amazon you have to have a certain amount of pages to have words on the spine like how like has that ever bothered you that some of yours don't and he said well no because then that means like on instagram and stuff they're going to show my cover not a blank spine and people respond more to the cover than your name on the side and i thought ah like that's that's brilliant. I mean, I mean, of course he he does the whole cover side of stuff too. But yeah, I thought that's that's yeah. such a, a great way to look at it that I never did before, right? And I think he's one of the one of the first novellas I actually ever read um, was a Keelan Patrick Burke one, um, The Turtle Boy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and that was kind of, and I think that's really where I really started becoming aware of the novella as a form is when I started paying attention to indie because you know, yeah. 
I, yeah. I, you know, confessions of a big five reader. I was one for decades, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and then I found indie horror and thought, what, what a fucking dumbass you are, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Especially I, like when, when you're a fan of horror for so many years, you look at the stuff that was released and I mean, you know, for many years and not, not as a negative, but I mean, the shortest Stephen King book would be like 500 pages. The shortest yeah. Anne Rice book, the shortest Anne Rice book was like 1500 pages, you know, like, like they were just these massive, even like Dean Koontz and um, like even John Saul, like these were mm-hmm. big, thick books, Robert yeah. McCammon. And yeah, so, yeah. For, yeah. So forever you're like, well, can this be that good if it's not, you know, if it's like their opening mm-hmm. chapter, like, you yeah. know, like, so, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think indie really just, I think indie embraced that and it really opened a lot of doors for a lot of writers. And yeah. it turns a lot of readers too, I think. I mean, because like I used to literally be fucking thrilled if a book was 8,000 pages long. You know? <laughs> and now, right? Yeah. Someone says, hey, this this book is 800 pages long, and I'm like, why the fuck did you write it that long, man? <laughs> Who has time to read an 800-page fucking novel right now? <laughs> but, I mean, if they release it as 800-page serial novellas, I would be all over it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Me too. Like, I, I would read those eight novellas faster than I would the 800-page book. And that is very true. It's like um, I devoured the Green Mile way faster in its serial form than I yeah. could have in a novel form, um, and the you know complete. And the same with Taft's The Fearing. Yeah. 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 And you know, I, like you guys have said, it was the same for me as far as uh, you know indie horror, and I. I have no shame in admitting this, but, you know, before I started reviewing horror and kind of discovered it, I didn't even know there was a such thing as a novella, to be honest with you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for, I mean, I still at times when I go to say that word, I'm like, am I even pronouncing this right? Like, it's yeah. so, it just seems so foreign to, to growing up and, oh, you're reading a novel, you're reading a novel. Like, yeah, it's just, I, but yeah, I love that. I love that, um, that kind of, uh, the the page length of reading that it's especially as somebody who reads everything on Kindle, like when I read something and ten minutes go by and you've read twenty five percent of a book, I'm like, oh man, I'm flying through this. This is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I have that same reaction. <laughs> yeah, and you then, too. You'll get a new book and you're reading the book and you've read for an hour and a half and two percent has gone by and you're like, what? Like. Why is this not moving? Like this makes zero sense. <laughs> I, I literally did that with the ritual earlier. Yeah. I was right before we started. I was catching a couple of pages on my phone, and it's like one page. I'm at twenty um, percent, and I flip it, and I'm almost at twenty five percent, just like that. I'm like, fuck, right on, dude. <laughs> <sighs> so, uh, Steve, I know you know as you were kind of talking about. Um, you know, these years, like working with the shorter work, you had mentioned uh, David Sodergren a couple times and how he kind of told you to like trim the fat. And I was just curious, you know, how did you guys kind of start working together? Like, how did you meet? And, uh, you know, how has he kind of, you know, helped you as, you know, you've written more books? Oh, well, I mean, I, I don't know if I can if I can do it justice for for the impact he's had. Um like when I started out, uh, uh, 
there's two authors who, who really helped me a lot, Jay-Z Foster and um, uh, Justin M. Woodward. And then kind of as, as time went on, I kind of, I don't know if I would say I, I drifted away from the, from hanging out on Facebook and really kind of embraced Twitter. Um, and it took me a long time to really kind of even figure out how to navigate through Twitter and interact and, and stuff like that. But it was kind of one of those random ones where when I started doing more book type stuff on Twitter versus like the athlete stuff, right away I had connected with Gavin Kendall from Kendall Reviews, who I like review with, and Gavin's a great friend of mine. Um, but him and David had been friends previous to that. And at some point I had seen David mention something about, you know, black metal or death metal or something. And I, I just messaged him and I said, Oh yeah, have you have you heard this band? And I think probably for the first month of us kind of messaging back and forth it was purely about music um and he hadn't released a book yet at that time um but i think at that time he was working on um his first release the forgotten island and i can't remember which one of my things he had read but he had read something and he had messaged me and he said i really like it um but you know i don't want to be offensive but whoever you have editing your stuff you know you might want to rethink it because some of it doesn't seem that great and i was like oh like like, no, thank you, um, because I was kind of half editing it, and then I had a friend who was half editing it, but, you know, neither of us were really good editors at all, and he just said, you know, send me your stuff, and I'll send you some thoughts, and and from there, that just kind of grew where, um, you know, I, I really trust his feedback implicitly, and um, he he's, he's really nice and direct, like, he'll send me back like he'll send me back to the Google doc and he'll have something underlined and he'll just say like, this line sucks. And I know that if he says this line sucks, it sucks. Or if he sends something back and says, I think this is the best line you've ever written. Like I'll be beaming for days because mm -hmm. if he said that to me, I know he means it. It's not, you know, he's not blowing smoke up my ass or anything like that. He's, he wants me to be able to put out the best that I can. And, and that's what I've always appreciated um it's great stuff, oh. right so yeah yeah and it's great to find a person like that oh for sure yeah no they're not blowing smoke you know i have a, a beta reader slash editor like that too who um if if i'm told it's not it's not good you need to unfuck it then i'll just do it without question you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure. and you and you appreciate that right like if you absolutely if they send you back something and they say like Shane, like this, this sucks. And, and your first thought is, well, this guy's a dick. Well, mm. you're, you're not going to be putting out the, the absolute best thing you can. Yeah. Um, and, and it's kind of a roundabout way of doing it, but that's also why I read like all of my bad reviews, because if there's, if there's a constant theme in all of them, where if somebody's always saying, you know, I don't know, um, he always kills this type of person. Well, okay, like that's good feedback for me. I'm going to actively work to, you know, make sure this doesn't keep happening because it's it's a it's a constant reoccurring thing, right? So right. I mean, I know everyone says don't read your reviews or whatever, but you know, for me, I use it as feedback. I want to know. It's to me, it's very valuable. I can see in that case for to for the especially for being able to. Um, avoid becoming formulaic you know yeah yeah that you, you 
that particular situation of hey he always kills this type of character it's like wow i didn't even ever think about that but you could fall into a rut yeah or or you know um wow his books are always a to b to c yeah Um, yeah yeah no geez i didn't realize that i this is what i love to write obviously it's becoming you know too formulaic or too predictable time to time to change it up a bit right so yeah I also, um, I, I admire the courage to read your reviews because I don't think I'll ever read one of my reviews if I ever get one. Um, you know, I will say, I think part of it is coming from the athletic background where, um, especially in bobsled where every single day you had people who tell you just how much you suck, um, (laughs) not fast enough you're not strong enough um you know you're too fat you're too pudgy like just you know the coaches and the other people you know a lot of them are are, they're pretty ruthless because a they want to have the best team but b they want your spot on the team um so you know for me it was like i would get live feedback every single practice every single session it never mattered you'd always get you know really harsh words and some positivity so for me, like, if somebody's like, well, I didn't like his work because it felt, um, I don't know, rushed or it seemed, you know, uh, I, I can't even think off the top of my head. Um, but I'm like, okay, no, fair enough. Like, you're, you're, you're absolutely welcome to that opinion and it doesn't hurt my, my feelings. But when they give me constructive stuff as to why they don't like it or why they didn't enjoy it, I'm like, oh, man, this is, this is fantastic. Like, give me, give me one-star reviews like this all day of the week, right? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. It's like you know, um, never touches my work that I don't come away a better writer because of the suggestions that I got. You know, and and the work, like you said, you you can't do your best work without that. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Sorry, but I want to go back to that bobsledding thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but what I was doing, I was relating that to what you said about the one-star reviews, you know, all day long. Yeah, if they're if they're giving you something you can build on, you know, that's kind of what King called the tools, you know. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, um, and then you know, to relate to relate it to bobsled again, if somebody tells me um, uh, your your position sucked um, when you're trying to do something on the ice that's very different than the reason you didn't do this is because your knee wasn't in this position or your hip wasn't here or whatever. Right. Yeah. So it's a very different, you know, constructive criticism is criticism is very different than pure criticism or just, you know, you suck. So that's how I've always looked at it. Yeah. And um, like Shane had said, you know, going back to the bobsled thing, I, I had never, I I didn't know that about you, um, but that's pretty <laughs> cool, especially because you know, like like you said, you were trying out for like the Olympic team, and you know, to be honest, I don't know a lot about bobsledding, um, so I was just kind of curious, you know, how you got kind of got involved in that, and um, you know, is that like a big thing in Canada, like bobsledding? Yeah, so. I mean, it's, it's weird because, um, it, for me, I feel like I've, all I ever do is blab about it. Um, but then a lot of people don't, 
even know I did it. So it's one of those things where, you know, your own experiences, you're like, oh, I've, I've totally talked to everybody's ear off about it for so long. And, but then there's a whole group of people who have absolutely no idea that you did it or even what it is. Um, so I, I, at one point I was trying to, to do really well in shot put and I wasn't, and I had a really bad elbow injury. So things were kind of just done. And, uh, I went to, um, I had actually flown up to, to my grandma's funeral and on the way home, on the flight home, I got stuck in Calgary. And when I was at the Calgary airport, I ended up sitting beside one of the Calgary bobsled pilots and we just started chatting. Um, and, uh, he was like, you know, like if you're still looking to, to, to try to, you know, compete, um, we're always looking for, you know, big, fast, strong guys and, and, you know, just, you know, give me a shout type of a thing. And. So I was like, oh, okay, like that's that's pretty interesting. So then uh, um, I talked to my wife a bit about it, and, and you know she knows that you know kind of when I get something stuck in my head, it's not going to leave my head. And uh, so I contacted Bobsled Canada, and they had me come out to Whistler because we live pretty you know about three hours from Whistler. Um, so I went up to Whistler to, to just try it, just to see, because they they said like they don't like to put time and effort into people who go down one time and they're like, yeah, I can never do this ever again. Um, so went up there and, and did a couple runs in a four man sled on, uh, with a couple other people. And it was, it was a blast. And, uh, so then it was like, okay, what do I need to do to, uh, to, to do this? So they gave me the, the checklist of things that I needed to do and kind of ticked off all the boxes to start doing it. And then it was the following winter moved up to Whistler for, for the, the winter and, um, jumped into the sled for, for most of the winter. And then the next year we moved to Calgary and now here I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in, in Canada, it's kind of biggish. Like it's one of those sports where a lot of people know about it, but because there's only two places you can really do it in Calgary or in Whistler, um, not a lot of people do do it. Um, it's also an incredibly brutal, violent sport. So a lot of people will try it and then just be like, no, like I, I am not going to, I can't handle this because it's just really, really hard on your body. <laughs> yeah. Cause you get up to like, I've seen it kind of like on TV, but you get up to some pretty high speeds. Right. And then, you yeah. know, like, so like Whistler is the fastest track in the world. Um, so the fastest I ever got going there in the two man with my pilot. Um, I'm not really good at, at the miles per hour to kilometers per hour. Um, so I think it would be 90 miles per hour. About it was 145 kilometers an hour. Um, so that that was the fastest I ever got going. Um, and then uh, in the they have a corner at the bottom. They they have it rigged to so that you kind of catch the most amount of speed as you come around. Um, and so where when you come around at that speed, you hit about six Gs in the back of the sled. Um, oh, so it just it just That's sucks. Brutal. You down. Yeah, <laughs> it just sucks you down into the bottom, and uh, you can't, you really can't move when you're coming around that corner. Um, and then it's really, it's a really strange thing because after you come around that corner, you come to a straightaway, which is the braking ramp. So right as you come out of that corner, you have to pop your head up to see where you are, and you just get pelted with the air or with snow or whatever. It just hits you right in the face as you start braking. So. It was always one of those moments where it feels like, you know, you got hit and you got the wind knocked out of you because you're doing 145 with six Gs and then suddenly you're sitting up and just getting slammed <laughs> as you try to pull the brake. So 
Yeah. yeah, you're sit popping your head up and letting the wind punch you in the fucking nose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds both like incredibly fun, but also fucking terrifying. Like I, I don't know <laughs> if I'd be able to even attempt it. I'd be yeah. like. <laughs> the 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 worst the like the worst times ever like were like I I've, like thankfully I was only involved in a couple crashes but the like the next time you had to go um, yeah. that whole time you were like okay well we're gonna crash or um, if your pilot like they do something called a track walk before so they'll walk down the entire length of the track um, with the coach and the coach will go over you know where they should hit the corners and stuff like that. And sometimes the pilot would tell you if he was going to do something different, and sometimes he wouldn't. Um, so if he didn't tell you, like, you, you're you used to how each corner would feel, and, you know, you have your head face down, and you're counting off corners, and suddenly something feels really different, and you're like, well, here we go. Like, we're going to crash now. This is going to suck. So the whole rest of the time, you're just, you know, clenched and hoping you don't crash. So, yeah, that was always – those are the good ones. Yeah, yeah, and the crashing thing, man. When you crash in a bobsled, it can be extremely violent. Yeah, um, and not fun. My first one, they wouldn't let me see the footage of it because I guess it was one of the the more violent crashes they'd had in some time. So we had uh, my pilot had missed the corner, and we went straight up into the roof of the track, and then went God. upside went upside down and came down upside down, and then went up kind of flip back over sideways um so that crash i had like um broke the visor and the top of my helmet off i dislocated a shoulder um i had a bit of the sled go into my butt i uh, they thought i was going to lose the end of my one finger because it had got pinched and the like all of the blood had went into it um so they had to do you know where they heat up a, a piece of metal and pop it through your nail um oh. so that. yeah just yeah so it was it was pretty pretty uh pretty intense yeah sounds like it I, I could never handle the brutality of the language my, myself with sports i yeah. tried to i tried to play american football and the first time the coach started talking to me that way i was done who the yeah. fuck are you to talk to me that way motherfucker <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, if you if you want a pretty crazy crazy connection in bobsled, my very first coach was the coach of the Jamaican men's team that went, that Cool Runnings was filmed off of. Right on, really. So so John Candy was actually based off of him, even though um, the coach wasn't uh, wasn't the size of John. Um, <laughs> but because of that, everybody kind of had this, um, you know, gave gave him this aura and this like, you know beyond respect of him being this guy even though he like never was a nice guy to a lot of us and he just kind of used that to lord over everybody as you know well like i'm the guy from cool runnings like he was just such an asshole to us all the time um and you just like people be like oh man like your coach is the guy from cool runnings and you'd be like oh yeah he's great like yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he sure is. Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, like last night when he told me after practice that he hoped I never came back and that he thought I was just, you know, I, I'm, yeah, he's awesome. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> I get a kick out of shit like that. Like my friend Curtis Sogato played with, uh, 
or toured with um, Carlos Santana one time as one of his vocalists. Yeah. And when he came back to town, I was in Salem at the time, and he's all, I'm all, hey, man, that was pretty righteous. I saw you with Carlos, dude. And how was that? And he oh, fuck that guy. And that's all he was saying. <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that, that, dude, you always have like the best story, Shane. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I I thought that was I thought that was pretty cool, but yeah, I with you guys, I I played sports for a while. Um, I lasted one season as a little kid in uh, football because they did it by weight, and I was <laughs> I was a. Uh, Let's just say for my age, I was a bit on the tubby side. So I was playing with kids that were like teenagers. I think I was like 10 or 11, and I would just get massacred. <laughs> no matter where they tried to put me, I just I just got massacred. And finally, the coaches had to tell my parents, they're like, you know, we don't think he's going to make it. So it'd probably be best if he just left the team. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> they were all, you know, like starting to go through puberty and they were jacked. And then there's me and my tubby little preteen self. Just I couldn't handle it. <laughs> just trying to avoid getting hit. <laughs> <laughs> to my credit, I uh, I took the hits <laughs> and they were pretty brutal. <laughs> That's why they were concerned. <laughs> And then I switched to lacrosse after that, and I played that for a while. But, yeah, the coaches, you know, like you guys had said, so much profanity. And, you know, like you had said, Steve, it kind of prepares you for, like, negative things people might say about you, you know, whether it be writing or anything else. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You're just like, oh, all right. Well, you don't you didn't like something I wrote, like. Mm-hmm. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, kind of going on your um, like when you were talking about kind of the stuff with the bobsledding about how it was kind of rough on your body and you know kind of the extreme stuff you uh, went through. Were you like always into that sort of like uh, I guess you would say like dangerous sort of sports or stuff like that? Because um, like when I read the the one that knows no fear, you know, kind of with like the whole daredevil theme, I wondered if maybe that sort of played into that a little bit. Um, like me personally, no, I never was. Like, um, I was always petrified of getting on a dirt bike or a four wheeler. Um, I didn't mind going on skidoos and stuff like that. Uh, but I I was never like you know I had a BMX and I would try to do dumb stunts on that and they never ended well. Um, but yeah, like for the one that knows no fear, it was kind of, you know, uh, uh, kind of loosely ish based on some of the bobsled stuff of, you know, we always want to go faster and, and, you know, cause that's the whole point. Faster you go, better lines you have faster the, or the, the lower the time will be essentially. Um, but me personally, yeah, I was never, uh, I was always into watching like nitro circus and stuff like that. Um, but never, never one to be like, oh, I should jump on a skateboard. <laughs> yeah, same here. I, I always loved watching that yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, Sean White is really fucking cool to watch, but I don't want to be him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's funny because, like, 
like like you talk to Sean White and he you know you're like man you're so like that's fantastic like snowboarding skateboarding and he's like whoa like you like with bobsled like are you crazy like it's funny how from from <laughs> sport to sport you just you kind of get that when you when you talk to some people they're like how could you ever do that and I'm like like dude how how could you ever decide you're gonna build a you know a half pipe out in the middle of nowhere and you got to take a helicopter to get there you know like yeah like, yeah <laughs> you know, like it's just insanity to me but then to him it's like why would you ever jump into like a a, a plexiglass bathtub and fly down a hill like so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's about the most apt comparison yeah. i've ever heard made of it yeah. too. <laughs> god but that's yeah that that is an interesting thing it's like i i had a friend who was cross country skier and was just horrified of downhill skiing and that, it's like cross country you know, skiing god that's a lot of effort uh it's brutal <laughs> i i did it one time you gotta, oh you got to be in some shape to do that holy yep I, I would rather go for a jog and i'm like yeah. almost 300 pounds like yeah no, nah, I did that. I went snowshoeing one time. It's also pretty fucking grueling. It's nowhere. Yeah. You're not just strolling on top of the snow. Don't kid yourself. Yeah, no, that's tough. <laughs> anyway, I'm digressing. I did want to. I did want to segue off of your work a little bit, though, and your um, your athletic heroism and <laughs> um, just just adulate. Uh, the great Andrew Piper for a few minutes since we are oh, brothers yeah. in that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was happy to discover when we started talking about him that there I finally met somebody who was as much of a fucking fanatic about his work as I was, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, I mean, I think I'm at the point now where I probably just annoy Andrew a little bit, where he's like, oh yeah, Steve's, you know, did another photo of my work, or he sent me a message about some book or whatever um but like like i remember when i discovered his work it was just like growing up in kind of the middle of nowhere and you know my my neighbor was the one who introduced me to stephen king's work because she had all of his books back then but i never had like i didn't know who dean Koontz was i didn't know who um clive barker was like i didn't know who these people were because i never had access to that and then mm-hmm. When I found the demonologist, like, and I've told it before, I actually got his book and I got the troop from Nick Cutter at the same time at, from Walmart. They had the two, uh, two for $15 paperback um, deal. And so I got those two and the troop was fantastic. Like, I love the troop, but it was kind of different. And like, it didn't, it wasn't as literary as the demonologist was. And when I saw that he was from Canada and that he had these other books and that it was like, you know, an instant international bestseller, I was just like, 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 I felt like I had finally been let in on this secret. But then when I started interacting more on Twitter, I was always like, well, why the hell is nobody talking about Andrew Piper? Like, I know it it kept blowing my mind that this like internationally renowned, you know, fantastic author you know, isn't mentioned in the same breath as the people that I believe he should be. Um, and, and I agree with you on any name you pull out in the horror industry. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, 
like I, I like personally I don't get it um, and uh, you know it's just I again I feel like I'm annoying him every time I try to pump the tires and say like well you should read like like you want a book that's going to keep you up at night read the killing circle or yeah. you want a haunted house book that's going to freak you out read the guardians or you know like yeah. he has something something for everything mm-hmm. yes he does and, and you know just, if he doesn't if he doesn't like our adulation fuck him yeah. <laughs> if Andrew listens to this, Andrew, I did not say that. <laughs> it's a shame, Andrew. It was said with love, and you know it. <laughs> but yeah, it's just like it's one of those things where, like, uh, like how none of his books are movies yet, and how how he doesn't have these special limited editions of his books. Yeah, it just blows my mind because. Not only as somebody who loves his work, but who, you know, thinks he should be it and all. Like, I'm just, it blows my mind. And it's too, too, it's fun, like, when you meet someone who hasn't discovered him and yes. you're able to share his, like, I think we were, was it Tony? Tony, yes. Yeah, Tony Jones, who was asking about him the other day, and it's like, Steve and I are both like, oh, read this and this and that and this and that. <laughs> you know, the, the thing for me, like, I think with the the thing with Tony that really I thought, like, I for me personally that really made a big or a big impact on me was that not only did I see that he got the demonologist and he read it and loved it, but then he right away got the residence. Yep. Um, so for me, that's like as somebody who's trying to share Andrew's work and, and, you know, and it was really for anybody I, I want to give a good review for, but with Andrew's work, when I see that, I'm like, Oh yes. Like, like we've, I've got my lasso around him. And I know now when he goes into that deep dive of all of his other stuff, like when he reads some of his old work and is like, well, like how the hell did this not win a Bram Stoker or how was this not, a Giller Prize winning book in Canada or whatever, right? Like, it'll, he'll just be like, these are so good. How, how again, how is only Steve and Shane pumping his Piper's tires all the time, right? Like, right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's like uh, Shane had, he um, had told me for a while to, you know, read his stuff. And I finally did with, uh, like, The Residence. And that, that was my first one. And, um, like you said, I'm definitely going to be reading the rest of them because I was just blown away by how, how, I don't know if you've read that one yet, but it's yeah fucking terrifying. <laughs> so, but it, again, it's one of those ones where um, it's so well written. It's so, it's so, mm-hmm. so thoroughly engrossing. Um, it's, it's one of those ones where for me, you're reading somebody who's published in the top five writing an indie horror book, but on such an, another level. Cause mm. he like, like um, I know Shane, you've read the homecoming, um, but like to not play spoiler alert, but the ending of the homecoming, mm-hmm. I can never see that coming out on a top five, like in a big five, you know, that ending is so brutally far out there and works so well. Yeah. But, only Andrew would be the one who would do that, right? Like you, like you're like, holy, like, did they did it really go down there? Did this really happen? Um, so for me, it's like it, it ticks all of those boxes of 
being one of the best written, one of the best writing authors out there. Who's mm-hmm. like, if you listen to him talk, like he, he's a masterclass every time he speaks about writing and stuff. Um, so he's beyond intelligent and so, so articulate, but then he just writes these horrific stories and, you know, I'm just, I'm giddy every time I do it. Like I'm, uh, it's been like about six years, I think, since I've read Lost Girls, Demonologist in The Damned. So I'm going to be rereading those now to do an updated review, um, for them because you know i i think it's been long enough that i can't remember every word in it so (laughs) yeah and um one you know one cool thing because i'm glad shane had you know asked you about that is i know that uh you've been doing updates and stuff about your uh, andrew piper collection and you had (laughs) you had managed to track down i think like every available you know, like addition of all of his works from the first one to the most recent and including ARCs. And I know you and I had talked about it a little bit and I was kind of curious, you know, what made you kind of set out on that path? And I would imagine, you know, especially when you were trying to track down some of these ARCs um, that, you know, you might've met some other Piper fans, you know, that, you know, some of them might have been friends of yours already, but you might have even met new people. So I was kind of curious, you know, what kind of made you want to start that kind of collection? And also, you know, what was your experience like, you know, trying to track down, you know, like especially the ARCs and meeting other yeah. fans? Well, I mean, I mean, part of it was just so, I mean, I had had a bunch of the books um, and uh, and it just something kind of clicked one day where I was like, man, like I want like a paperback and a hardcover of each one of them. Um, Cause I have a, I have a whole bunch of them. Like Andrew's been kind enough to already sign a whole bunch of my books. Um, and then randomly a while ago, I was in a value village looking through the horror section and I found a, like a pristine um, ARC of the demonologist. And I was like, Whoa, like this, I can't believe this. And then, recently but well not recently about two years ago um somebody had contacted me about oh did you have you know an advanced copy of of this book and i said oh no i don't and it was at that time it was actually um uh for um the killing circle and uh i said oh no i don't and at that time i had actually hadn't even read the killing circle yet and uh and then i started to think about it i was like man like i'm on i'm on all these like Stephen King rare pages and stuff like this. And I wonder if Andrew has advanced copies of these other books. And so I just kind of started putting feelers out there to see. And through that, like I had people send me, send me books and stuff like that, but it just became this kind of, you know, part of me loved having this collection of books for, you know, my favorite author. And then part of me was like, well, this is a fantastic opportunity to share how amazing and how gorgeous his books are. Um, because his books, I mean, have some of the best covers out there. And, uh, and at the moment I actually have a guy, um, who's getting, getting some of his stuff together. And I think I have like another 15 or 18 Piper books coming to me from other editions I didn't have. Like, um, there's some, a demonologist version from the UK that they only released over in the UK through Orion books. And so just through that, like. Um, reaching out to different publicists and stuff and everybody's been 
very fantastic. Um, the, I've only had kind of one negative experience about that, and I consider it a negative because they said they had an advanced copy of a book and sent it to me, and it was not an advanced copy of the book. <laughs> so I was like, ah, I was all excited, and then I opened it up, and I was like, yeah, this isn't the book. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's lame too, though, dude. Yeah. I mean, so, when, especially with something like that, because you had to be just ridiculous excited because you've already got th- these others. It was, it was actually for the only child, which was the hardest one to find out of all of them. Um, that was the very last one that I found, but somebody. About three months ago, they sent. They're like, "Oh yeah, I have it. I, I, you know, here I'll send it to you." I was like, "Oh, like, you know, let me like tell me how much you want for shipping. Do you want anything for the book?" And they're like, "Oh no, no, you're a big fan. Let me just send it to you." So they sent it to me, and um, I usually get all this stuff sent to to work um, because that way I know it won't be sitting on our front step or anything like that. Um, Mm -hmm. So it came to work, and I came out of an appointment, and I saw the package, and I was like, "Oh my god, like it's here!" I like opened it up, and it, it it was a, a really nice paperback copy of it, um, but it came with a like a postcard of advanced praise for the book. Um, so I think that's why they thought it was an advanced copy of it because it had like some blurbs from other authors and and some quotes from some of his other releases. Um, but I remember opening it and I was like, oh, well, I guess I start all over again. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, what got us on the subject the other day, kind of, was uh, Laurel asking me if I had yes. an arc of that. <laughs> and that, well, that like, in, a, in a roundabout way, led us to turning Tony onto Piper. Well, it was funny because like I, like I know how much of a Piper fan you are, and I never wanted to once ask you about any of them, because I was like, well, like Shane might have it, but he probably wouldn't want to let it go. So it was like, I think of like all of the Twitter people I deal with, I think you were the only one I really never like messaged about because I was like, there's no chance Shane would ever, would ever part with that. Like, and I'm not even going to try to make him like a deal or anything. I'm just, I'm just going to let him have what he has. And, and then with the only child, I was finally like, ah, you know what? I'm messaging with Laurel. I'm going to ask her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny, too, because you're right. I would have never parted with one. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I totally respect that, yeah. Well, I have all my Piper arcs that I have received, and I believe that every single one of them is signed because they came from straight from him. Um, the, the Residence was the first one, the first uh, advanced copy I ever got. Both in pay, like in a physical copy from an author, but also from Andrew, and he sent it directly to me, and I was like, like this is I can't believe this. Like this is this is like you know I've said it before, but literally it's like you know Piper is my king. So yeah, you know, be like Stephen King sending you a book direct to you, you're just like I can't I can't believe I'm on this like level right now. Um, no, and I I felt the same way the first time he sent me a book. It's like um, especially since it was him asking me if I wanted him to send me a book, and it's like, uh, really? <laughs> you know, well, who is this? <laughs> he had posted, he had tweeted on Twitter about he got like the advanced copies, and I had messaged him. I said, 
could you please send me your publicist email and so that I can send them an email to, you know, if, if there's any left over, maybe I'll be able to get one. And he said, he said, he said something along the lines of like, Oh yeah, sure. No problem. Um, and then it was like, I think three days later he had like express posted it. And, uh, I messaged him right away. I said like, Oh my God, like, thank you so much. He was like, Oh, of course, like for sure. I was going to send you one. And I was just like, like what? Like, <laughs> for sure, like, like, oh, okay. Like, yeah. And that's not what I was thinking. I was thinking like, you know, after all of the, 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 the VIPs and the important people got them, there might be one kicking around that you're not going to give to like your family member. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I'm not giving any of my stuff away to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like even the stuff with me in it, I don't give to my family. Fuck them. They can buy it. <laughs> so um steve uh another thing i wanted to ask you about that um you know it's it's kind of funny when i do see them um you know it always makes me laugh and kind of brings a uh a smile to my face and that is um you know every once in a while you'll post like uh screenshots of like conversations you have with like uh <laughs> and stuff like that and i was curious you know what made you start doing that and are you ever worried that like one time like it'll just go too far like you'll respond and then they'll just never leave you alone <laughs> um i think part of it is uh, like i'm I'm pretty easygoing, and uh, I I love being a bit of a, a wise ass. Um, so it was a while ago now. Somebody had messaged me, and they, it was one of those ones where um, I woke up and I had a notification that I had a new follower, and there was like a message, and it was from the same one, and it was like you know Jane who's looking for you know wants to be someone sugar mama type of a thing. And I was like, all right, well, let's have some fun with this. Um, so I just like sent them a message and was like, hey, how's it going? And then they had replied. And, and over the course of like an hour or two, I had just messaged back and forth. And then finally I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I can't be like this anymore. Like, like I'm I'm happily married. I have a kid. Um, but, you know, if you're still looking to throw out some money my way, you know, here's my Amazon link um, for my books. And, um, and I remember I had screenshot it and, and posted it and people were like, that's hilarious. And then I don't know if that tw- like triggered the Twitter algorithm. Um, but now it's like something that happens, you know, about once a week where I get, you know, looking for, for a real man type of people following me and they'll message me and I'm like, Hey, like, how's it going? Like, like I'll absolutely message with you. And, um, but the last one, um, man, if it was really a, she, which I doubt it was, um, they were very persistent like sending like photos of them like blurry blurry like blackberry type photos of themselves uh um you know half undressed on their bed and so i was like all right so you know send a photo back of myself that I had drawn like a clown face on and, like, and they were like offended they're like why you like you don't you don't love me like you won't send me real photo and i was like what are you talking about like i'm I'm a farm clown trying to make it work because the weather's been so bad. And it was just like, like I had like made this whole like narrative, like story of my life for them. And she just, she wouldn't believe it. So I just kept going with it. Like, yeah. 
<laughs> I'm a fucking clown. What are you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, well, it was something like she was like, "What are you up to right now?" And I'm like, "Oh, I'm just like I'm I'm at a, a party right now because the farm's been been so bad this year. I had to get a second job working as a clown." And she was like, "Oh, like." Like this is your real job, and I'm like, oh no, now I'm crying, and the kids are are calling and yelling at me. They're saying like I'm angry clown, angry clown, and and she just like just was like not having it. It was like, oh, like, are you not going to? Do you not want to like be my wife? And I was like, oh, I can't. I'm a crying clown, and you know, I need to make it funny. And, yeah, it's just like one of my favorite things. I think that's the one that I had uh, seen recently that made me want to ask you, but. I'd seen a couple other ones and like for me that's got to be like hands down the most original and unique way to you know like kind of promote your books and try and get someone to check out your books because you string them along and at the end it's like oh yeah if you want to throw some money my way you know I had some books available. (laughs) Yeah yeah because even in that one I was like oh like well you know, if you don't, if you, if you don't want to be like with a clown for the rest of your life, I do have uh, a horrible book about a cult that's called Ritual. It's only 99 cents on ebook. You know, it's just like, here's the link. And she was like, I'm not clicking any link from you. And I was like, what? like, like you're going to send me a link some point here and you won't right. click my link. Like, like, show me yours. I show you mine. Come on. Right. The sex bot turns thread down. <laughs> Yeah, it's actually a very, a very low point in my life. I don't like to talk about it. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I could do this all night long, but if I do this all night long, I will also be um, living with you. So, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, do, do you, uh, what, what are your newest works that you want to talk about, and what do you have coming down the pike that you want to talk about? Um, uh, well, I just had, I said, geez, what month three, November last month. I just, uh, had the sequel to wagon buddy come out, Scott, a wagon, a wagon buddy tale, um, which, uh, if you haven't read wagon buddy, it's a story about a guy who was brutally bullied his entire life. And, uh, one day he gets an imaginary friend and the imaginary friend decides that it'll, it'll dole out the vengeance for him and has a taste for flesh um so the the sequel just came out and then of course of witches um just came out that uh um has been doing really well and i think a big part of that is because of miranda's fantastic photos and illustrations in it um her her work in there is just stunning um and then uh, sometime at the start of next year um hoping to get out the final the finale in the trilogy for uh ritual and communion i haven't even mentioned the the title of the book or done a cover release or anything like that so that'll be coming and then i'm working on a a horror western with david sodergren so we have that coming out next year at some point too that's awesome that those all sound great um you know based off of what you said tonight and shane i can't wait to start the uh ritual one and I'll be looking forward for that one. And also the horror Western thing. I mean, I love those, um, you know, they don't really get a lot. Yeah. They don't get a lot of, uh, you know, hype usually. They have started to uh, become more popular, but I've always loved those. There's just something about like combining those that works. 
I would I would say like I've seen a lot of like like the the splatter western stuff has come out a lot right now. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't really put what we've done as a full like splatter western. It's you know there's a really there's two storylines that kind of go back and forth between it and it's pretty uh, it's pretty like for me at least you know it's pretty emotional like that we've we've from what we've kind of developed um, but there's some really really gruesome scenes in it so yeah so um sorry i just had a important message i had to respond to real quick there um so yeah so uh everybody um you uh heard some of the different things that steve writes um so you know you have a selection of brutal to not so brutal but never kind um <laughs> well, uh, but, but yeah do do go pick some of that up and give it a read i think that you will be happy you did thank you uh thank you man thanks for being here and we hope to have you back soon yeah sounds good thanks yeah. both of you I, and, uh, hey laurel jeez you really you really dropped the ball here <laughs> yeah, she agreed next time I would invite you and bail and she would be on the show so. <laughs> thanks a lot brother yeah thanks Steve thank yeah, have a good night man alright bye bye is somebody gonna hang the fucking thing <laughs>